Hi, welcome to the Back to Bisco podcast. I'm your host, Brian Tse, and before we begin the podcast, here are a few messages. The NUS MBA Town Hall is a dialogue session for MBA students with the Deanery, Program Office, Biz Careers, Biz Alum, and Student Council members. It'll be held this Wednesday, 21st of February, 5 to 6.30 p.m. at MRB Building 0202, and I'll be facilitating the session. It'll be an excellent opportunity to give feedback on how we can make the NUS MBA better. Hope to see you there. The NUS MBA Marketing Club presents A Pragmatist's Guide to Sales Strategy and Planning Hosting Madura Kulkarni from LinkedIn, GoToMarket and Strategic Ops as the guest speaker Gain insights from her on how to excel in this role as she navigates through the content with the help of case studies Three LinkedIn premium subscriptions will also be up for grabs this Thursday, 22nd February, 5-6pm to 6 p.m at HSS Building 03-01. Check your student inbox to register and see you there. The NUS MBA Sustainability, Ethics and Impact Club would like to invite everyone to the NUS Ocean Purpose Project. Come together for a day of environmental stewardship at our Passeries Beach Cleanup event. A chance to contribute to our environment while creating a bond with nature and our NUS community on 24th of February, Saturday, 9 to 11 a.m. Check your student inbox and register by 20th. Now, back to this week's episode, which will be the second half of my interview with Anik, where she shares more about a day in the life of a business journalist, traditional press versus modern news, her life as an assistant producer at CNBC Squawk Box, her craziest story when a guest was live on air, and her take on the criticism of journalism becoming more clickbaity. Let's dive right in. Were you working from home in Singapore for Wall Street Journal or were you, did you, was it a physical office? Can you tell us what a typical day is like uh, as a jur- journalist? Like you go, like I'm assuming you go in the office and then you look through all the major news outlets or what's it like? I'm very curious. Yeah, um, so my days will start with media monitoring because well, I was one of the most uh, junior, youngest reporter on the team. So my day will start with um, at home, I'll start working and then I'll do the media monitoring. And then basically to um, browse every website as possible and then to find what's the, the major news today. And then, um, or is, has there been any new announcements made, made overnight? And to pick up those and then um, to, to do this news monitoring. And then we will brief, I will brief my team, my fellow reporters um, on the updates. And then after that, usually um, I will pitch a few stories, ideas to my, to my editor. And then, or the other way around, my editors might assign, might assign some story to me. And then we work on the story, either long term, long form or short form. If it's a short form, because we also do a lot of day, um, a quick updates on the day. And then we will publish it um, at 4 or 5 p.m. If it's a long form story, we would just progress slowly. And then um, sometimes we will have to send, send the stories to the U.S. side for a 
US editing for their ed- editing. Yeah, that's very interesting. And then I was just thinking about like, remember back when there was traditional newspapers, right? So I'm sure there was a deadline before the press, right? So uh, it was more structured, I would assume, back then where you had, because the, the printing press would be at 2 a.m. and then they'll print finish at 4 a.m. or something along those lines. But do you ever have any experience doing that? Yeah, I think it's a huge change. Now we are shifting to online uh, newspapers. So in terms of that deadline, I don't think we have like a set time that we have to, all, all the stories have to be in for time for printing. But um, if it's a more time sensitive story, then we would try to beat um, our competitors to publish before them. So mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal, obviously very, uh, very good on the resume, but your resume got even better being an assistant producer at Squawk Box, which I think many people have heard. Anyone who's who wants to do well in the, in the business um red race or in the business sphere, they'll definitely have to listen to a bit of squawk box to know the on the ongoings in, in the business world. So that's very impressive. So can you tell us exactly what an assistant producer does? Because I feel like the producer word is very can be very generic sometimes, right? You know, executive producer, assistant producer, sound producer, stuff like that. So what does an AP do exactly? So yeah, I'm actually surprised to hear how many people have watched Squawkbox. And for me, it was, um, I know I heard of CNBC and I heard of Squawkbox, and, but I just never imagined myself one day I would actually be producing this show. And it was, yeah, nothing but a huge honor and um it was really fun so squat box is kind of like a asia markets opening news program so our working hours so we have this show at the cost of all the producers on this show are all sleep deprived because the show runs from 6 to 9 a.m so basically basically every day we go to work at 2 a.m 2 30 a.m so for that period when i was with cnbc which is almost a year and a half and then i have to go to work at 2 a.m in the morning and we prepare the show for three hours to three to four hours and then we go go on live the so the show would be for for our audience especially the investors um or the company executives and basically everyone who cares about the market to know what's going to move that day's market so what's the new the market moving news on that day and then so they they can act the assistant producer we basically work together with the producers and then we would decide we would talk about that day's lineup we would decide what news goes to the headlines um and uh what guest we have on that day so oh we're gonna have this guest and then what's um his agenda usually what uh, what topics he cares about and then so i will brief our anchors what questions you can ask our this guest and what will be interesting to talk about with him uh, with, or with her um and then the, when there are new stories then we will also write stories we will, i will write a script for these stories so our anchors will have something to read off on um so it's very exciting and very um, adrenaline running um, job. Yeah, because because it's live, right? I mean, it's it's so it's so cool to me. It's pretty cool. Uh, uh, once again, really respect you for that. Have, has has there any been any live missteps before? Like you know, the reporter fainting or something like. What was your craziest story that you had live? Yeah, there are a lot. So there are a lot of playing by the ear when it comes to. Online uh, comes to live programming. Okay, so I think I can share. I'm not sure how much I can share, but this fun little incident was when we are live um, interviewing this guest, and we are already on air. We are already live. So this guest suddenly bring out a gun, 
And then, so he showed his um, whole collection of guns behind him. So he's American. I can't remember what, what was the topic, but probably some gun control issues that we were talking about. And then he did show his collection of guns behind him. And then it was too late for us to pull him off the program already. So we just asked the um, director. So in the... In the studio, there will be producer, which is us, and then there will be directors who are controlling the which screens we will show to the air, and then um, there are also reporters uh, who are interviewing the guests. So then we just so we just ask reporters, can you just talk about something else, and then we just change the subject, and then we can show some random uh, footage to distract to change the image. We don't want to show that image for too long. Um, yeah, so it was just a lot of improvising and playing by the ear when you are when we are live, when we are on live. That that sounds super exciting. And for the so I'm I'm sure you 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 will communicate with them using the in ear monitor, right? They have this uh, yeah. not monitor, but yeah, that the in ear. Um, walkie-talkie for lack of a better word so yeah, and, yeah. And somebody suddenly has to be on standby to prepare some random footage of other things or whatever yeah. it's yeah well, it's pretty exciting I, that's why i think that's why you say it's adrenaline right because you never know what, what's going to happen yeah, and it's yeah. Ob- it's especially when there's breaking like something that was reported before suddenly um got corrected then my whole script has to change so basically like that or a breaking news then we have to come up with a script super fast so there are actually a lot of mistakes that are prone to happen when we're online so it can be technical as well for example if i just scroll the you know the uh, anchors they will be looking at the prompt the prompter and then i remember this one time the intern just scrolled the prompter too fast so the anchor was looking at huh what, what is this am i supposed to read this and then he just oh. followed the prompter. And then, so that would be a disaster. Um, so usually when that happens, then there will be a lot of uh, scolding. And... <laughs> <laughs> wow, this, this, I, I would love to, to see it behind the scenes one day. This is so so interesting. And I realized that reporters seldom get interviewed, right? Normally reporters are the interviewer. But it's nice for, I, I don't know how it feels now that you're being interviewed instead of being always being the one interviewing, right? But yeah. And I also want to add that your English is like super good. Like as someone from Futi and like, I, I just, as a side question, right? How do your English get so good? And you're writing oh. English. Even I don't dare to write English news reports, but you can and English is my first language. So how do your English get so good? Um, I think writing and speaking is very different. So I was good at writing way before I was good at speaking. So um, writing is because, because of school. I think uh, when I was writing for a school magazine since high school, so I've always been more uh, familiar with English writing. I, I can never write in Chinese. I can never write proper Chinese. And um, <laughs> speaking, I think it's because um, when I was at uni, I was, when I was in Sydney, and then I was staying in the student accommodation. So basically we make friends there. And then the people who are staying there are all international students. So it's, the accommodation is called International House. So there are a lot of, um, basically all the foreign students. So then we just talk English. So that's how I think practice makes perfect. But I'm still not perfect. You are pretty perfect was, to me. You are pretty perfect to oh, me. And, and, and I, went to, I went to uni University of Melbourne actually. So I had friends yeah. who stayed in in a hostel with the exact same name, International House. And but you tend to see the the especially I think maybe because Chinese in general are more shy. A lot of the Chinese international students will just bend to each other, bend together, and then they all just speak in their you know their very comfortable yeah. Putonghua or you know Mandarin. They they never improve. But I think you really 
put in the effort, went out there and really improved your English, which is very obvious today. So, um, a few more questions. Um, I think there has been a lot of criticism lately about journalism being very clickbaity, right? Because it used to be subscription-based model. I mean, there still is, you know, premium models. But, you know, it used to be, you know, you just buy like 60 cents, 90 cents for the newspaper. So the inverted commerce quality is is there. But now it's about, you know, getting the clicks, right? Realistically speaking, because newspapers also need to stay afloat, right? They're not a charity or whatever. So what's your take on this this um, this criticism that journalism has become more clickbaity? So I think this criticism of journalism being clickbaity, I think it's more of a challenge that digital media landscape that these outlets are facing. So it's actually a broader, a part of a broader conversation about how journalism and these media outlets, news outlets can adapt and thrive in these changing times. Because, you know, um, the traditional newspapers and print medias, they are facing this decline in circulation or advertising uh, revenue. So they have no choice but to transition to online platforms and then to reach the audience. And the way that these audience, these readers, we are consuming news are changing so swiftly. And many readers now try, they are seeking quick updates or engaging stories via social media or news uh, aggregator apps. So basically you are fighting for their attention. And so as these um, sources, these news sources and internet proliferates, um, it's just hard to grab people's attention when if you are losing out on this um your, if your headlines is not eyeball catching enough um but i do think that's more um i do think that highlights the need for us to balance this engagement with the this engagement with the audience as well as the commitment to the quality and in- integrity um because i always like one of my favorite quote about journalism is that journalism is the first rough draft of history that will never be completed about a world that we can never fully understand. So basically journalism is the first rough draft of history. So um, I don't really like being, I don't really like to hear when people go, oh, um, journalism are just um, trying to get more clicks, but it's actually very, it actually varies a lot depending on the outlets. Um, there are some outlets that maybe do more casual reading, then they would probably write more um, in a funny and entertaining way. But there are also serious journalism like Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal and Reuters and CNBC. We don't want to be um, categorized as the clickbaity kind because we're actually putting a lot of efforts to um, chase down these stories and then to tell the truth. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And yeah, and I respect that for that. And yeah, it's 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 tough. It's 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 tough. But I think uh, I think the the places that you said they are doing a good job. There's another talk about biasness. You know, like how every news agency or outlet will have a left or right leaning bias. But I don't want to go into that today. <laughs> don't don't really want to go into politics too much. Going back to to Anik, right? So after all this talk about journalism. But now you are a full-time student at NUS MBA. So why do you choose to, to come to NUS to study an MBA and where to from here? Um, okay, um, so I actually don't mind sharing. So before, when I was applying, the original motive was that I just couldn't wake up at 2 a.m. anymore. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> coming from art school, coming out from journalism, journalism background, I've always um, spent 
a lot of times trying to understand business and finance terms and jargons and um, knowledge and basically how the concepts. So I pieced together how this market, how markets work, how financing works, but I just never been properly trained. So to be put it simply, I'm just here to learn. I want to go to business school and then to get a sense of, oh, the people that I talk to, people that I interview, what background, what education they come from. And then, oh, then actually after the first semester, I actually got to taste what it's like. Coming out from here, I'm actually very excited about the doors that open from MBA and from NUS MBA. And I could be going back to financial journalism, could be going back to business journalism, which is um, I've always enjoyed doing. I'm just excited about all the doors that are opening at the same time. I think it's pretty cool. I don't know more much about senior reporters, but I don't expect a lot of them to have MBAs, right? Uh, do you know a lot of reporters oh, with MBA? Yeah, so I think you'll be surprised how many journalists, how many reporters are coming from, uh, can, can come from MBA background. So oh. there are, yeah. So I even met uh, one of our alumni when I was in Japan. Um, so he's working for Nikkei Asia and he did NUS, he did MBA at NUS, the same, exactly the same program, I think seven, eight years ago. Oh, and, wow. um, and the people that, you, that you're interviewing, they will respect you a lot more, right? When they say certain terms and you're like, yeah, I, yeah I, I, you fully understand where they're coming from because you yourself, you, you, you have the credentials and the qualifications to talk to them about it. That's pretty cool. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, I think, and I think especially MBA actually shaped a lot of um, the best reporters in the field. Um, I won't name names, but there, there is a Bloomberg anchor. He's super famous. And then on uh, Asia, I think, Bloomberg's Asia market open for China news and he did MBA in the US and I think it was that MBA program that opened a lot of um, doors for him to get to talk to a lot of the most important people in the business world. Wow. Wow. So I, I expect to see a Nick in a, on a TV screen very soon. <laughs> I expect to get an exclusive interview with Brian here. Like like no one no one no other reporters can get in. I got to I got the exclusive interview with you because I, we went to the school together. <laughs> yeah, I I refuse to talk to anyone except for a Nick. But have you actually considered being a, a an anchor? I mean you have you know, you, you, you look you, you have the looks to for an anchor actually. I am a freelancer anchor. I'm a freelancer on camera reporter. I wouldn't call it anchor. So I just I do cover tag events, um, live. So but those are not live. Um, it's recorded. So I do kind of on camera reporter. Um, but being an anchor is super tough, super hard. Like you have to improvise a lot. So I do feel the language barrier. If I wanna work for English, um, media English, uh, platform, I do feel there's still a long way to go. There's a lot to improve on for me to um, improvise on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you are one of the best English-speaking people from coming from China already because this is a second language to you. It's super, to me, it's super fluent. But anyway, that's all the time that we have today. Please let people know how they can look, they can find you. Um, usually, I'm quite uh, accessible on LinkedIn. If um, there's any messages on LinkedIn, I always check or by email. Thanks, thanks so much, Anik, for, for coming on this show. I really, this is so much good content for me to 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 showcase the, the world of journalism and business journalism. Thank you very much for coming. And that was the interview. I think we can all agree how interesting and unique her experiences are. Anik has left her personal email in the show notes if you'd like to contact her directly. Join us next week for a new guest. This has been 
Back to Biscuit Podcast. Bye for now.